Welcome to Learning with Lisa, Student Success Beyond Expectations podcast with Lisa Navarra, award-winning educator, consultant, behavior specialist, author, and parent. This podcast provides support for school leaders, educators, and parents. We share and discuss evidence-based resources that are embedded in social and emotional learning to meet the needs of students who struggle focusing and learning. Teachers and parents find information and strategies to improve students' academic, behavioral, and social-emotional performance. It's time to turn kids from I can't into I can. Welcome to Student Success Beyond Expectations. Our guest today brings parents of toddlers the foundation and knowledge and skills and strategies to help your child meet with long-term success. Jill Irving has extensive experience, not just working with toddlers, but working with teenagers. I'm going to let her introduce herself with what that background was for her and how it led to the mission of helping early intervention. You know, myself as working in early intervention and teaching through high school and providing parent workshops, I really do have a very deep appreciation of being able to learn from the people that you teach, no matter what age they are, no matter if they're a child, a parent, an educator, an adult of some kind, in whatever role it is, and then being able to transform yourself into being able to provide that knowledge and experience in such a meaningful way. And Jill has done that. So Jill, welcome to our show. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. Jill, would you tell us a little bit about your background and then how you became the mentor mom? Absolutely. Well, I'm a master's level social worker and I actually started out working in a prison system with juvenile offenders that were serving maximum life sentences. So I was working with these 14 and 15 year old young men that were gonna be in prison for life. And it was so sad to me. And I thought maybe I can affect some change to keep them from ending up here. So I went to go work for Children's Protective Services thinking maybe if I could do some help there to keep these kids from struggling that maybe they wouldn't end up in prison. And that was a really challenging job. And I learned a lot. One thing I learned specifically is that I really enjoyed being in people's houses because it's real. You know, it's different than being a therapist in an office and somebody coming in and talking about the dynamics. When you're in somebody's house, you really see the big picture of all of the different things that they're, that they're faced with. So it was really a big eye opener to really understand families who are in a very, very stressful situation. So after doing that for a while, I ended up by the luck of the universe pointing me where I needed to be working in a public school system, starting out their intervention program, working with infants and toddlers with developmental delays that qualify for special education services. And I've been doing that for the last 20 some years. And I actually started uh, the mentor mom probably when my kids were like three or four, I did some parent coaching there for a while. And then I, I just kind of stopped because life got busy. But now that I'm, uh, I've been doing this for a while, I look back at it and I think, wow, I probably didn't have as much to say back then as I do now, because I have so many more tools in my toolbox. 
But I think ultimately the thing that drives me to do what I do is that I remember the toddler years and the preschool years with my own kids. And it was very, very challenging for me. It was just uh, overwhelming and it wasn't like it looked like on TV and in the movies. And so every parent that I see in the home, I, I really feel what they're feeling because I've walked in their shoes. And so my mission is to try to give them all the things that I've learned over the 20 years so that they have the tools in their toolbox. Because I have a thing where I, I believe that there's a thing called parenting self-esteem. And when I start with a parent, they have very little parenting self-esteem. And that is a direct correlation to the tools that they're, they're lacking in their toolbox. The more tools they get in their toolbox, the more their confidence build. And by the end of our time together, they don't even need me. That's my goal. You know, you said something very interesting, and I think it was insightful that can really be transferred to our listeners here. And that is, you felt a big difference in your own abilities from when you first started out to years later. And I really think that that is something that parents who have either typical, normal, uh, regular developing children or those who are challenged by, whether it be mental health conditions, learning disabilities, neurodiverse challenges, whatever they may be, to remember that change doesn't happen overnight. And what you know now, you'll eventually become good at once you practice and implement it. And then you could build on that. Can you just give a little bit of hope to that parent who feels like, gosh, I feel like I've tried so much or I'm overwhelmed. I can't even think straight to learn anything new. Oh, absolutely. And I, I think that, um, you know, it's, it's a process, right? Like, I mean, I believe in looking at the problem, helping the parent look at the problem. Then we have to kind of understand what's going on underneath that problem. And then we have to figure out what are the tools that are going to work for us. And once we get those tools and we get used to this kind of process, right? Recognize the problem, understand what's causing it, get ourselves some, some tools. We can, and at least I did over the years with my kids, you know, my confidence increased because I, I had a system in place. I knew what to do when something happened because something always happens with kids, right? The next stage comes along. You're like, well, I don't have any tools in my toolbox for this one. I better get to work. Start doing your research, figuring out what the cause is, get yourself some tools, implement them, and then you're going to be ready for the next stage. So it's really an ongoing process of learning and doing building our skill set. And ironically, it's exactly what we have to prepare our kids to do to be successful in life. That's exactly right. And that's where you're starting. You started now and you're engaged with those little toddlers. So mm -hmm. what are some of those skills or experiences that you've had when working with them that would be helpful for our listeners? Sure. Well, I, I actually, I focus more on the parent. As an interventionist, we use a coaching model. So I'm not there to do one-on-one -on -one therapy with a child. I am actually there to do the work with the parents so that they can do the work when I'm not there. They have more time and opportunity with their kids because of the daily routines. And that's where kids learn best. And parents are the best and most important teachers. I agree. So is there uh, one trend or pattern that you find parents do that inhibit them from reaching the goals that they, they really see? Yeah, I don't know if I can say that it's a specific pattern. I think it's an overall experience. I feel like parents are, you know, and I've been doing this 20 years, so I've seen this natural kind of progression with this over the years, that parents just have less 
time with their kids and they have a lot more pressures than they did 20 years ago. I'm not saying people 20 years ago didn't have pressures because I was 20 years ago and I had pressure, but they are working, many of the families I work with, they're working two jobs. Uh, both partners are working two jobs. They're working opposite shifts, you know? Um, so their kids are spending a lot of time in daycare, which they don't want, but they have to do out of necessity. And so I think the thing that I hear the most from parents is, we have so little time with our kids during the week. And on the weekend, I'm really, really tired. And at night, everything's just a battle. And so I think they just feel really overwhelmed and run down. And then that leads to feeling like I'm, I'm, a, an, I'm not a great parent. You know, I'm going to mess my kid up for life, which we all think, right, <laughs> no matter what. So I think it's just a, a lot of societal factors that play into it, really. I mean, there's just, a, it's a different world nowadays, social and economic economically. I mean, parents are having to work a lot more hours. So there are a lot of big differences. So what mm -hmm. do you tell a parent who's in a situation like that, where they're working so much and they don't have a lot of contact time with their child? Well, one of the things that I really try to focus on is helping them, first of all, understand what's going on when they walk through the door at home, right? Because they're like, oh, they're always screaming. They're upset. You know, I just want to come home and have peace. And they don't understand why the child's having meltdowns at the end of the day. And I said, well, you feel stressed at the end of your work day, right? And they're well, like, yeah, I'm tired. I've been working all day. And I said, well, so have they. Toddlers are working all day long. Everything they do is work. Everything they do is learning. Everything they do is skill. Their little brains and bodies are tired at 5 p.m. just like ours, right? And then they have to transition from a daycare provider to home. They're just kind of in sensory overload. So I really talk to parents about kind of understanding that dynamic of what's going on and then working with them to try to figure out what are some things that we can do to make that transition easier for them and easier for you. And just focus on, I'm, I'm a big believer in focusing on the thing that's sucking the energy away the most. Right. Start with the red zone. <laughs> Once we get that under control, yes. then we'll move down to the yes. next thing. Yes. Start with the big thing. Yes, it's hard. They want so many changes all at once. Like we all really do. We want everything to work like clockwork, nice and smooth. Everything's oiled. We don't even have to oil it. But you're right. Starting with that red zone really narrows down to that target behavior. And what, what might be an example of a behavior? Is it typically like when they come home from work and maybe things are a mess and there are socks everywhere and they decided to make eggs and we've got pots and pans everywhere and there's dried eggs on the stove, you know, and just could you at least put the glass in the sink? I mean, is it something like that? Or is it maybe the bedtime routine or? Oh gosh, it's all of it. It's all of it. But here's the thing with toddlers, right? You know, cause toddlers are all about control. All, young kids in general. I mean, we all are about control, but toddlers specifically because of the social emotional stage they're going through. What do they have control over? They have control over what goes in their mouth, what comes out of their mouth, and whether they sleep. What are our biggest battles with toddlers? Mealtime, bedtime, getting them talking. Yeah. Right. And so as an early interventionist, how would you encourage uh, a child to, to talk, to, um, to communicate in a positive way? Well, I start with the parents by helping them understand that there are things that need to be in place before words are going to come. There are these foundational skills that without them, they're not ready to start using the words. So we can't just expect that a child is going to start saying these things unless we have engagement. They have to be interested in people. We have circles of communication. So they have back and forth interactions with people that they find the joy in interacting with people. 
Then we can work on comprehension. I can't say words if I don't know what they mean, right? So we have to work on identifying pictures, following directions, listening and learning. Then from there, we work on initiation. And this is always a really hard one for parents. We have to let our toddlers and children do the lion's share of work so that they can figure out that they can let people know what they want. And then yeah. the last step is imitation, getting them to imitate actions and sound, ultimately our words. If we have all those foundational skills in place, then we're gonna get to words. That's how they learn to believe in themselves really, is when mm -hmm. they work toward a task and they meet with success. Whatever that little thing is, to them, it might be huge. To us, we might thought, oh, finally. But what's really important to notice and recognize, like you're saying, their hard work and their accomplishments. And then once they believe in themselves, then they're more apt to continue learning and I suppose engaging. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. And that's why I'm always telling parents, we got to, we got to let them initiate. You got to, instead of giving them and you know, and it's hard, it's like, oh, you handed me your cup. I'll just get you some water. You made it too easy for them. You know, life is not going to be easy later on, right? It just gets harder and harder. They have to learn to take initiative and they learn more when you, when you make life easy for them, you're stealing away learning opportunities and you're stealing away their ability to feel good about what they're doing and that they can handle things. Right, and that they can handle things. And we all need coping skills and they do oh, too yeah. at an early age, absolutely. Oh yeah, I mean, their brains are 85% adult size by the time they're three, 90% by the time they're five. And that's because of all the learning, all those neural pathways that are being built, all the myelination that's occurring. It's just astounding what they learn in those first three years. Maybe that's why nap time is so important. Nap time is important, right? It helps us regulate, you know, and even yeah. when they outgrow naps, I'm a big proponent of having bedroom time in the afternoon where it's just a quiet downtime that allows them to kind of regroup and recenter and focus. Let me put gears on you for a minute. Mm -hmm. Have you seen a change within these toddlers um, from our pandemic that we're living through? Yeah, absolutely. Um, definitely seeing more toddlers with language delays, uh, seeing more toddlers with uh, social interaction struggles, um, lots of toddlers that are having just difficulty with more social emotional regulation. And, um, you know, they're not getting the opportunity to get out to be around peers. And parents are overwhelmed and stressed. I mean, how do you keep a child active every day for a pandemic for two years? <laughs> you know, so definitely seeing impacts of this and uh, high levels of concern from, from parents about how they can keep their child moving forward through, through this, despite not being able to take them out and do things with them as frequently as they would like. Is there a way to differentiate, in your opinion, delays or challenges that the toddler is having? and really say maybe it's because of COVID and once things settle down, then they'll close that gap and continue with their developing or maybe there's something else going on here. Yeah, I think that um, in looking at that, it's, you gotta look at the whole picture, you know, like when we're looking at behavior with, with toddlers, especially, you know, I see a difference between a tantrum and a meltdown. Okay, right? a, tell us about a, that. To me, a tantrum usually is a result of a limit that we've had to give as a parent, right? You know, you can't have that cookie because we're going to be having dinner. 
they get frustrated, they throw themselves down, they're not able, because, you know, they're still learning how to have conflicting feelings and all of these different things. A meltdown, in my mind, is more of just sensory overload. You know, this is where they're kind of flipping a switch over something that's just really like, I handed you a blue cup, and apparently you wanted the green one, and now we're a ball on the floor, and I can't bring you back, and they can't regulate themselves back. And a lot of times that has to do with the sensory input. They may be tired. They may not be feeling well. They may be hungry. They may not have gotten enough sleep at night. So it's just a, sometimes I think it's really tricky as a parent to figure out, all right, what is this that's going on? And that's why I'm a big fan of really working on behavior because behavior gets in the way of communication and talking as well for toddlers. One thing that I always tell parents is if you're only seeing the, be the behavior with you, and you're not seeing it other places, that means you are a part of the problem. Something is going on in that dynamic with you and your child that is causing them to continue that if they don't do it with your daycare provider or with grandma or with other people. It's about the circle of communication. Do you help to, uh, while you're at their home, really, do you help to identify what they might be doing that um, is inhibiting that? Because sometimes yeah. ourselves, we're just living our life in a habitual way usually. And it's hard to look at ourselves from an outside in. So how do you help with that? Absolutely. That is actually my favorite thing to do. Ah, tell us. <laughs> I love watching the interactions between parents and their kids, because like you said, you know, they have these, these circles of communication, these patterns of interaction that are already built. Right. And then, you know, I come in and I'm able to get their toddler to do all sorts of great stuff. And they're like, well, why will he do it for you? And it's like, because I'm creating a new circle of communication and I'm setting limits on how this is going to happen. You already have one, you know, so it's really, it's a lot harder to change, right? I mean, if we could change easily, I would be about 50 pounds lighter and I'd work out every day, you know, yeah. changes, yeah. changes hard. Yeah. But what I find is a lot of times parents and not just parents, but grownups in general miss out on the verbal, the nonverbal cues that kids are sending. There are almost always, there's almost always some cue that they are giving with their body language to let us know what's going on there. Yes. And so many times people miss it. I'm always telling parents, 93% of communication is body language and tone of voice. 7% is your vocabulary. Absolutely. We got to tune in more to what we're seeing them do. Absolutely. And, and during, it's funny, Jill, during some of my, my workshops, that's one thing I, I ask the participants. I say, how much, what percentage of communication is nonverbal communication? And you'll get a wide range of people based on what knowledge they have or experience. And yes, it does go up to 90%. It's huge. It is. It's huge. And, and toddlers, Toddlers, I mean, all of us, we send that message, you know, it's like looking into a, into a stroller in a store, looking at a baby and the baby turns its head away, yet people continue to stick their head in there. That baby is saying, no, no, I don't want you in my face. I need you right. to back off. It's causing right. me anxiety, but right. yet we override it. We're like, oh, no, no, no. Look at me. What's wrong with you? Why aren't you looking at me? I'm smiling at you. You should be responding. It's like, how would you, I always tell parents, what would you do if somebody was doing that to you as an adult? Right, right. Yes, it's a good point. I guess we want to fill our own needs sometimes. Yeah, I, I, I'm i not exactly sure what, what drives it, but I, I just, I'm a 
I love watching toddlers. They're sending so many messages to their parents and we just, we kind of miss them, but it's hard too. I'm not trying to bash parents in any way not at all. because you're spending 24 seven with kids. We miss out on things with our own kids. And sometimes it is helpful to have somebody else from the outside to be able to say, Oh, look, did you see what that, what he did just there? Oh no, I didn't notice that. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And that's part of their learning process too, as the parents, when I work now, I, I work with a couple of toddlers here, really about four years and up, but mm -hmm. when working with the parents, uh, you know, it's wonderful because you are in their home um, yeah. and they're just, they know that they're in this learning process. So they, they're more open, they want the help. And it's so rewarding to really see the parent go through the same type of learning process, isn't it? Oh my gosh, I, I can't even tell you how many times I have started with a parent. And I always start with, on a scale of one to 10, if you had to rate how you're feeling about your child's development, your home, home environment and what's going on, 10 is awful, one is it's fantastic. Most parents are around eight or nine when we start. And depending on what we're working on and the duration of our time together, by the end, I'm like, where, where are you today on that scale? And they'll say like one or two. And I'm like, my work is done. Yeah. And, yeah. and all I do is give the tool, the feedback and some education. They're the ones that do the work. Right. It's not, it's not me. They're the ones that promote the change in their child. It's not me. It's all the parents. So for our parents listening out there, an important message here is to know a few things. One is there is assistance out there, there's support. Mm -hmm. Two, you're not alone because there's a ton of parents like us who want the help, right? Absolutely. And yeah, and you know what? It sounds like it's kind of fun in a way because now they can breathe a little bit, they feel more in control and what parent doesn't want that for, their, for themselves and their child? Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's, I think the thing that I love the most about this is the level of commitment. I mean, I have never, ever met a parent who doesn't love their child with every fiber of their soul. I always say having children is like taking your heart out and watching it walk around with arms and legs, right? Yeah. I mean, you want to yeah. keep it safe. And, and that's sometimes where the hard part is and letting them have a letting them struggle so that they can learn because we don't want them to struggle. So I, I always like to, to encourage parents to think about all the things that are going on within their home. Their home is preparing their child for the world, right? And so what skills do I want my child to go into preschool with? You know, what, what do I want them to be ready for, right? Because then we have to practice it at home. Right? Yes. That's, that's where they learn. And then they translate those skills. If I, if I can't do this, if I can't hit my parent, because I've learned that there's um, a, a resulting consequence for that. Like my mom doesn't want to, she walks away from me or puts me down when I hit her. I'm certainly not going to hit a teacher because I've already learned with the person that I care the most about and that I trust and love the most that that doesn't work. So I'm not going to do it with somebody who I don't have that same kind of attachment with. You know, Jill, have you worked with toddlers who are part of a divorced family and I parents have. as well? I have. Mm -hmm. And how do you support them when there's somebody on board, one parent who's on board and they're taking the skills and they're practicing and they're looking for that independence. They're setting the expectations appropriately for their child, not too high, not too low. Mm -hmm. But then when they have visitation with the other uh, parent, 
or even the extended family that comes along, uh, then it it's all, oh, okay, you don't have to get up. You could just point, I'll get what you need. And it's more enabling and, and not empowering. How do you navigate those waters? Well, first of all, I always offer to, um, you know, communicate and provide support to the other custodial parent as well. You know, I mean, the more people that can get on the page and, you know, sometimes, obviously, I mean, there's difficulty in communicating with um, exes sometimes, you know, it depends on what the dynamic is between the parents. It's always great when you have families that are able to put their child's needs first, you know, and leave some of the emotional kind of, you know, difficulties that they might have communicating with each other. Um, so, you know, saying, hey, if, if you want to talk to the social worker, she's got some support and some ideas. And, and I find that the majority of the time, both parents want the same thing. And most of them are quite open That's to great. getting getting feedback and assistance. It just sometimes doesn't come so well from one parent to the other. Well, you need to do this or you need to do that sometimes isn't received well, depending on the dynamic of the parents. So sure. Sure. I always try to make sure I leave information that can be shared so that both parents have access to it. That's great. That's great. That's great. So they could follow up on it together or Absolutely. separately, but at least at, there's consistency there. And yeah, and understanding too why we're doing what we're doing. I think that's the big piece, right? If they know why, like why we are allowing our child to bring the cup to us instead of going and getting it for him and taking him to the kitchen because they all want the same thing. We want them to use words or we want to get rid of the, the tantrums. So I think once they understand why we have to do that, the, the techniques and the strategies, then they're on board 100%. And having you come in to work with the families at this age is so important because it is such a formidable age. And just like you said, even with the brain size alone, they're learning so much that you know, they're cute and they're little and they're sweet and they're all these other things, but really it's now to be setting that foundation and being proactive and giving them the skills that they need. That waiting is, is not always in anybody's best interest sometimes. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think one of the biggest things to focus on with young children in particular is the social emotional piece. I mean, 100%, you know, they're going to make mistakes. They're going to have meltdowns. They're, they're going to have tantrums. The, the big piece is how we connect with them in those moments or after those moments. That's really what we want to model and shape and lay the groundwork. Brains that feel safe uh, are, are brains that are ready to go out into the real world and do amazing things because it builds the confidence and the trust that they need to be prepared for everything. What might be a strategy that a parent can do to connect with their child, to build that, that social emotional piece within them? I'll be honest with you. I am a big fan of parenting with love and logic, love Jim Fay and Foster Klein. I love their approach because it's really all about being that consultant parent, not a helicopter parent, not a drill sergeant parent, but a consultant parent where we allow our child to make our, our children to make mistakes, understanding that that allows them to learn. We learn more from our mistakes than we do from our successes oftentimes in life. There's a lot of things I would never ever do again, right? Sure, <laughs> I learned sure. my lesson, right? Yeah. They stick deep in your That's brain. Good. good. Learning them is good. It's not yeah. learning them and doing them again, not so good. <laughs> Absolutely. So I really love, um, I, I refer parents to their, their program quite frequently, their, their books and their website, because it really is about 
allowing your child to make mistakes, providing them with feedback, always letting them know that you love them and that they're safe, but allowing them to grow and learn in a way where it, you're also aligning with them. You're not the enemy. You're avoiding power struggles with them. So it's just, you know, it's really the approach we want to be with kids is we want to be a consultant. We don't want to be a helicopter swinging in and saving the day. And we don't want to be a drill sergeant telling them what to do because both ways we're stealing opportunities of learning for our kids. This was absolutely, absolutely wonderful. Are you able to leave us with um, maybe some advice for our parents out there? Yeah, I think my advice would be to trust yourself, right? To, to reach out and try to find some help if you're feeling overwhelmed and know that we all feel that way. Oh my gosh, the reason that I do what I do is because I'm making my mess my message. I was a hot mess as a social worker. I was a social worker when I had my kids. I specialized in behavior. I should know all this stuff. Oh, it was rough. Yeah. It was rough. Oh, many, many, many times of crying at night, thinking I'm messing my kids up for life, right? So we've all felt that way. And I think the other piece is you don't have to be perfect. You know, it's better for our kids to see that we're not perfect, right? Because if we always expect perfection, right, that, that's not attainable. And we're really setting our kids up for a rough road if they think that that's what they've got to be. Right. Thank you for that. Why don't you share about your digital course that you have, what it is and how it can help parents? Oh, thank you so much for the opportunity to talk about it. I'm really excited. So I've created a course called How to Get Your Toddler Talking, and it's designed for not just for parents who have toddlers that have delays in their language, but also for parents whose kids might be approaching that age, they're around one, and they're trying to figure out how can I keep them on track? How can I keep them moving forward? And in my program, I share everything I have learned. I mean, everything I have learned over the last 20 years in the approach that I've used to try to support families in getting their toddlers talking. And and it's not just about language. I talk in there about behavior. I talk about tantrums and meltdowns. I talk about sensory strategies because if kids are bouncing off of the walls, how do you get them still to teach them, right? So I look at all of it, look at the foundational skills, look at the parents' role in communication, what's going on with children and their personalities and temperaments. So it's the big picture. And it goes all the way up into the preschool years because I want parents and their kiddos to be ready for those preschool years so that they can all have an easy transition. Fantastic. And how can they get in touch with you or find out more information about this program? They can go to my website, thementormomblog.com. Great. And I'll have that information too in our description below. So... Jill, thank you so much for sharing your information and your knowledge and your expertise with us. You really brought us some great, valuable information for parents to consider, give them some hope, and to remember that there's support out there. We really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to the Student Success Beyond Expectations podcast, where school leaders, educators, and parents meet on behalf of children who struggle with learning. 
To bring workshops to your school or organization, contact Child Behavior Consulting and get started with resources available at childbehaviorconsulting.com, Amazon, and teacherspayteachers.com for ready-to-use resources and children's books. If you enjoyed this podcast, remember to review, subscribe, share, and give us a shout-out on social media.